0: This podcast features discussions about finances and money, which are general in nature. For personal advice specific to your circumstances, see a licensed financial planner or relevant qualified professional. Hi folks, welcome back to another episode of Looking Under the Hood. I'm Scott Malcolm, and we're here unpacking the money stuff. Today's topic, we're talking about debt and the modern buy now, pay later schemes that are around. I, I recall a memory when I was growing up, I used to umpire basketball. I think as, as young as uh, sort of 12, I think I could start going and, and earning some uh, extra pocket money uh, doing that. And got to buy some really cool things back in the day, the boom box, the, the, the television in my bedroom. But sometimes we also, uh, I used to buy some things as well that I'd put on a, a thing called lay by. Uh, where you basically uh, paid off over time and then eventually you got the, the goods that you wanted at the end of the process. We often talk about the system and there are definitely barriers to entry when it comes to the money stuff and we do see that evolution happening in the background and I think the the fascinating thing around Afterpay and ZipPay, it really has revolutionized the the landscape in regards to consumption, um, but also in regards to being able to uh, buy things and uh, pay them off over time. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jonathan Shapiro, who is a finance journalist at the Australian Financial Review and also the co-author of Buy Now, Pay Later, the extraordinary story of Afterpay. Welcome along, Jonathan. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, it's an
1: honor to be here. I'm looking forward to the chat.
0: Uh, Have you got a happy early money memory (laughs) or a joyous money memory that
1: you recall? Well, um, there was one I was going to mention, but since since you were talking, I thought about a, a, a different one. It's when I was probably about eight or nine years old. I went with my friend to a holiday resort in South Africa. My my parents gave me seventy rand, which is probably like seven dollars or something to, today to to like spend on food and cold drinks and stuff while I was there. But in the uh, lobby, they were selling these scratch cards <laughs> uh, for uh, I guess like, like uh, five, uh, five rand or something, and I. Uh, like like all scratch, I guess when you're a kid, you're a bit naive, but you scratch two and you see like oh one more number and I'm gonna win, and then you're like oh so close, and you were like I oh, so close, I got to have another go, come on, and then uh, after after literally I spent all sixty all my money on scratch cards, I realized that yeah that's kind of a trick there that 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 that, that there's often like you're often one number short, and uh, I guess ever since then I've been a bit of a cynic and I've been a bit skeptical about anything finance. I've been very I guess cautious about uh you know about anything that's tr- that's trying to get me to part with my money so i guess it's not a happy memory but maybe it's uh, it's formed my conservatism that lingers to this day i guess
0: it might have been the happiness of uh, actually being able to spend the money and, and think the anticipation of is this going to turn out is this going to turn out
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and i guess it's yeah but i mean maybe maybe i'm too scott and too conservative so you know <laughs> maybe i, I could have I've been less cautious with my allocation of capital since then, but yet yeah, a valuable lesson nonetheless.
0: Today, we're going to talk about um, Afterpay and look, I really love the book in regards to the the corporate history that we did have uh, or do have in Australia here. Some of the the big players and probably some of those unknown companies that uh, aren't around anymore is really fascinating. But let's focus on that buy now, pay later system. So where have these companies come from, like Afterpay, Zippay, some of those sort of things?
1: Yeah, like, I guess it's like to answer that question. It, it it's like it depends how far you want to go back. I mean, I think consumer credit. If 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 I'm not mistaken, I think the very very earliest forms of writing were literally like farmers in Mesopotamia <laughs> who were selling like grains on credit, you know, and they needed to some they needed some way to kind of keep. So, credit and consumer credit is literally as old as commerce, or as, old, as old as time. Um, I guess after paying zip money would probably fit more in the yeah in the consumer credit point um you know, consumer credit sector where, where you're financing the the purchase of of goods you know like clothing or the probably the earliest kind of form of buy now pay later or most prominent was Singer sewing machines you know when Singer became a multinational company by selling sewing machines in installments and telling the um. You know, the purchaser, hey, like, if you buy a Singer sewing machine, you'll sew enough clothes, you know, in the first few months to pay for it. So pay on installments and, you know, basically that this is a good asset. It's not an expenditure, it's an asset. So you should borrow and invest in it by, you know, by paying off over time. And and that that really drove their sales in the same way that Afterpay, you know, the installments lured uh, consumers to buy goods using Afterpay. So I think where Afterpay... Is slightly different, and again, it's not new, but different and and repackaged. Was that you weren't paying the interest; the merchant was paying the interest. So that kind of changed the the equation and the attraction, you know, away from you paying interest and this being a decision or a cost to you because it's going to cost money. It it, it was all parted on the merchant, and was your only decision was do you want to pay this over time, you know, um, but at no extra cost one thing we discovered through the book is consumer credit. It goes through like waves and cycles of pendulums. I mean, there's three aspects to consumer credit. There's the financier, there's the merchant, and then there's the, the purchaser. And at different times, they've needed, the three of those have wanted to provide credit or needed credit or wanted the people to have credit. So it's, it's gone in ebbs and flows and off to pay kind of picked the right moment in history to, to arrive.
0: Yeah, so. no, no, definitely. And I think it is that, especially my, my generation and probably our generation of, uh, of credit cards and, and things like yeah. that that were available and store cards um, has really switched to now that, well, actually, we don't necessarily want to use credit. It's called something different. But as you say, it's basically uh,
1: consumer credit at the end of the day, but just packaged up differently. The other thing I should add is is you mentioned labor. So, labour was in kind of a rose in the 30s, um, mm. post uh, the depression, where these big retailers needed to sell goods, but people were very frugal. So they needed to kind of attract shoppers to spend money, but retain their frugality. So they kind of said, "Well, you know, spend in a saving way. You know, spend in a, an instalment saving way. I, um, come in every 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 week and put down some money in the savings way, and that way." That way, like the Hordens or the David Joneses, could sell some more product. Um, but then, uh, obviously, Afterpay flips it on the head, and you, you, you get the goods first. Um, when Afterpay was kind of an answer to credit cards, where gener- well, this generation saw the previous generation getting stuck in in revolving debt, so it was that kind of mix of frugality uh, and an alternative to credit cards, which which allowed Afterpay to present itself as something virtuous and helpful. Whether it is or not is probably a separate debate, but at least they presented it that way. And a lot of people believed it to be in that way.
0: And and I think somewhere in your book, you did mention one of the the founders that said, like, the the whole premise behind it is actually allowing people to buy, take something home if they don't like it. Within 30 days, they can return it without actually foregoing capital to them or, or money themselves. And I, I looked at that and I was like, "That's actually a really cool principle." If we if we sit with that for for a while, so I'm probably totally misquoting that. But uh, oh no, you're not. No, what's
1: interesting is they thought so. Afterpay originally thought that that this is what the world needed is that people were reluctant to buy stuff online because. They, you know, they didn't know if the sunglasses were going to fit them, or so they didn't want to pay for it. They wanted to deliver it, and then they could try it. And then so that was the original idea. But people actually didn't like that. They felt if there were too many people felt reckless, you know, to to get something before they paid for it. So they didn't like that. It was only it was the pay in four that really resonated, where they they didn't feel that irresponsible. Whereas the pay pay in thirty days, which is after pay's original construct didn't really take off so it's interesting there's a lot of behavioral aspects to it i think
0: with, with some of the the stats that you you went through and some of the other findings, so uh, again I've, I've got some stats here from the RBA. So 2013, uh, folks under 30 were, were making up probably 80 of of card payments uh, with debit cards compared to that mm. that 50 uh, in all other age groups. And I know that's probably a, I'm trying to think when when Scott Papé started writing uh, Barefoot Investor. Maybe that's a bit of a a hat off to uh, to Scott Papé uh, during yeah. those times. But um, <laughs> I guess the um, 10% of Australians were then using lay-buy. So obviously, again, from the 1930s and then a change through history around the, the system and, and availability of credit in other ways, um, it really started to, to come off. But I guess Afterpay really gave access to, to funds to, to a whole range of people because it's not, a, a, again, as full a credit assessment as such. But, but why do you think, or from your research, why do you think it's been so successful?
1: I think there's two reasons, and I don't know which one is more dominant, and I think it's changed over time as well. But I think in the beginning, I think there's so the, the two aspects. of one is, yes, there you, um, a teenage girl is going to buy a pair of shoes or a dress, and it costs two hundred dollars or a hundred dollars, and she doesn't have a hundred dollars in her bank account, but she knows she will have earn she will earn a hundred dollars over that period of time. Or she really wants a dress. She's not. It's an impulse buy, and she doesn't have the money. So it's effectively financing a purchase where you don't actually have the financing. The second reason I think is more behavioural, which is that, um, you know, it, it costs two. She's got the money. It's two hundred dollars, but she doesn't. She can't. She can't get over the guilt. You know, like should I spend a hundred dollars? But on afterpay, it's it's fifty dollars, and then fifty dollars in two weeks, and fifty dollars. Mm. So you don't feel like you're spending 200 dollars. you feel like you feel like you and you've got six weeks which is quite a long time so it's like a behavioral hack to impulse you to to buy it i wouldn't say say yeah a hack or a trick uh that that just helps that purchaser overcome not the guilt but the the the, the sticker shock so i think there's a combination of some shoppers it's the aspect of credit where you bring forward you know you you get the goods first, and you, like a mortgage, you get the goods first, and you pay for it over time, which is an important part of of what credit is. And the second one is a behavioural like uh, way to overcome. And I guess the other thing about afterpay is you, uh, probably as important as those two, if not more, is that you don't pay for it. So there's no guilt associated with the financing. It's it's paid for by the merchant. It's it's free for you. All your your only decision is is how long you want to take to pay it. So. There's no cost or guilt or charge associated with with that, so I think those three together were extremely powerful and, um, yeah, really kind of shot off to pay to the moon in terms of its usage.
0: And, and look, I, I do worry a little bit with consumers. I, I, I talk to clients all the time who have got themselves into debt trouble, and I'll maybe make a few uh, comments later around um, some some things to think about in that in that regard, but. From the research that you found, what are some of the challenges or setbacks or even, I know, from consumer groups or otherwise that this efficiency in the system, basically, what can it create or impact people
1: in that way? Well, I think, look, it's one of the punchiest parts of Afterpay is is it is it good or bad? And I've, I've probably done more work than anyone into the company and I still don't really know the answer. I think it's both. I think it, there's no doubt uh, Afterpay is a better alternative to credit cards. I think that's that's a fair argument that Afterpay have made because you don't you cannot get into that revolving debt. You need to clear all your debts before Afterpay extends credit to you. So it is a good kind of alternative to avoiding. And there's no doubt as well that credit card providers uh the lenders at the back at the back end of a credit card they want you to revolve your debt you're the if you are stuck if you're perpetually stuck in that revolving loan and they're charging you interest you're you're their ideal customer so uh so there's no doubt there's a trap aspect um to that but the consumer groups have always been very um outspoken against afterpay and we've got to take them seriously because they're the ones on the front lines they're the ones that get the complaints they're the ones heating the pavement and talking to people in debt trouble and they they do see these buy now, buy now, pay later as a problem. Uh, they they say it can't. It's a kind of a hidden problem because you know you won't pay your electricity bill because you want to stay on the afterpay system. So, and there is no doubt also that the arrears of afterpay are quite high. You know they they it's part of their model. You know <laughs> that, that some customers are not going to pay them pay them back. I also worry that afterpay, as good as it's been, and again it's debatable whether it's good good or not. I think it's created a um, a bunch of copycats buy now pay laders that are not buy now pay later you know they, they they wear the buy now pay later tag on their sleeve lowercase bright colors good good u- user experience mm. but um i think that's what worries me is a lot of people are trading off after pay success and are some of them are you know are just old school kind of payday lenders and stuff like that and, and i i do worry that you know that after pay success which was which was legitimate and they did kind of Create a new niche and found found a, a kind of a, a good spot to land and provide value, is being kind of um, repackaged by uh, old school lenders and, and and trapping people. So that's definitely something we need to be careful of. Mm. You just hit uh, the,
0: the nail on the head there. There, there are always fees uh, to these things. So it's sort of that uh, that that no cost at the end of the day. It's no cost if you. Work within our yep. guidelines and exactly uh, well, again, yep. pay- payday lenders and and um, even the the interest yeah. free cards of, of probably uh, our generation and things like that be- before after pay, yeah, it's again work within our
1: guidelines
0: <laughs> or else you'll then yeah. get hit with that uh, penalty.
1: One and one other uh, other point worth, worth making is that um, I think after has moved from targeting the kind of the, the the teenage girl and the college girls, um, buying dresses and, and sunglasses to. The cashed up shopper, you know, who's got plenty of money and uh, just thinks, well, if I can pay it in four, I'll just pay it in four. You know, if I don't have to pay it all now, I'm not paying for the interest. So in that case, the, the victims or the cost is borne by merchants that are giving away margin to people that would buy their goods anyway. So it's just really like a, a 4% buy now, pay later tax. So that's the fear is as after pay becomes more ubiquitous, the merchants... So far, they kind of are not. Um, the, the the rumblings out of the merchants is is moderate. You know, it's not. It hasn't mm. grown to a crescendo, but but that could change. Mm. As you said before, I think there's there's a lot of
0: copycats. Like I even I noticed the other day with um, something I did on on PayPal. Like PayPal are now going do it in installments, and yeah. I was like, wow, this is uh, pretty uh, yeah. pretty innovative or uh, copycat. So yeah, it's it's fascinating yeah. that that's all happening in the background.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's a threat to Afterpay's business model. Is a lot of these. Big powerful brands might might offer paying for purely to attract customers. So, well now after has merged with Square, so it's, it's slightly different now. You know they they've got like a big brother partner, so they can um, if that if that merchant fee comes down, they're more powerful, so they can wear that they can wear that for longer because Square, who's just acquired them, sees sees Afterpay as a way to bring their merchants and their, their individual customers and their merchants together. Afterpay's been excellent at, at marrying, you know, the, the the merchant and the shopper.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and you've, just, again, touched on, uh, on the Square takeover. I mean, look... It, fat, it blows my my mind again you, you think a, a tech tech a fintech company basically and I guess they are a, a, a lender as well to a degree but basically they've uh, been involved in now what's the largest uh, corporate takeover in Australian history and that that just blows my mind how did that happen on the back of, of what it is
1: oh gosh yeah I mean that I mean we get so much grief because that merger was announced like the day we launched the book so everyone's like how did you not <laughs> see that coming or <laughs> so But um, I find it interesting because we'll never really know. There's a lot of people that actually don't ever believe that Afterpay can make money um, in the long run because um, they think over time more people can offer buy now, pay later. And that merchant fee, you know, merchants will not pay four, they'll pay three, they'll pay two. And if it gets to a certain point, then Afterpay doesn't make any money. They already make make very little money. They're just growing so quickly, which is why they're so valuable. So now they've merged with Square. We'll never really know if um, Afterpay, you know, 5 or 10 years into the future, is a viable, profitable business. I mean, it's a fast-growing Business that's created value um, to shareholders, but it does can it create profits. We, we may never know the answer to that. So it may go on this extremely interesting arc of value creation in terms of stock market value without actually ever spitting off the profits. But yeah, the square purchases means we'll never really know the answer to that question. Mm, no,
0: and that, again, as a, as a student of commerce, I, I again find <laughs> that that's so fascinating because yeah, as I say, like looking at the it's never turned a profit but it's it's got this this value and i i guess that's even we've we've talked about cryptocurrency on this this podcast before so people can go and check out that episode as well but that again that's another fascinating value store in my finance brain and and maybe i do still look at um money in that two binary uh element (laughs) uh, in in regards to the future (laughs) you're not alone you're not alone yeah what were some of the coolest things that you found out during the research for the book? I know there's probably a bit of a, a, a sideways question to, to add in there. But, um, yeah, what, what were some
1: of, the, some of the cool things that you, you discovered along the way? So the by far the coolest thing we found out, oh, I don't know how you define cool, but the most intriguing and fascinating thing we found out was... Um, we found out about this court case and it involved the wife of, of Adrian Cleave, who was the founder of TouchCorp. So if you, the history of Afterpay is quite interesting and Afterpay, Afterpay needed a company to build their technology when they started. They were literally like um, two guys in a coffee shop and they needed um, the tech to make this happen. And they, they went to a company called TouchCorp and basically gave TouchCorp a third of the company you know, to build the tech. Uh, so a third rent to investors, a third rent to TouchCorp, and a third went to Anthony and Nick, the founders. And yes, yeah, so Afterpay listed, and TouchCorp owned. I think Afterpay owned TouchCorp owned a big chunk of Afterpay. Then uh, the founder of TouchCorp sadly passed away, and after he passed away, they had to come up with a solution, and they merged TouchCorp and Afterpay, even though it was maybe like seventy thirty. Touchcorp afterpay after after Cleve died it went the other way and they did a, mer- a formal merger in which Touchcorp owned forty percent of Afterpay and Afterpay kept growing and growing and growing but Adrian owned a big chunk of of um, Afterpay stock and he passed away suddenly um, and this left this like this really interesting um, battle over his estate because he passed away without writing a will so. Um, <laughs>
0: We've done an episode in- on that as well, Jonathan. That's, uh, yeah, one of those big things. Incredible.
1: Anyway. <laughs> so there's something like 10 or 11 million afterpay shares where this young wife who'd only just married, uh, they'd been together a long time, uh, and she was pregnant, fighting with the, fa- the extended family of Adrian Cleave, a large Catholic family, 27 nieces and nephews, and this this battle over these 10, 11 million dollars, 10, 11 Million after pay shares, which landed up being a north of a billion dollars, um, was playing out unbeknown to almost anybody you know it just stayed hidden uh, and we stumbled on it uh, through an eagle eyed person and but uh, largely by chance and it was just the most incredible um, situation that nobody nobody realized about this billion-dollar battle over Afterpay. And, um, and that led us to the whole history of Afterpay, and then we traced, traced it all the way back in our lineage. And you know there were you could argue there were investors in Afterpay at, like five or ten years before it even formed because of the way the mergers took place. And, um, yeah, just an incredible kind of strand of corporate history and maneuvering that landed up lots of twists and turns. Like that, that's a story in in, in of itself, or the story of Aging Cleave and his estate. And look, it
0: is a fantastic read again. I don't, I don't want to. I'm not I'm going to spend my <laughs> summer holiday reading it again, just to really get my my head into the, and probably do some other Google searching and researching <laughs> around some of the the companies and the uh, the the people and uh, and moments mentioned in the in the book. But um, it is a really fascinating history. So look, I've I've appreciated uh, yeah what you put together, and and really appreciated your time today. Um, we, we do keep it short and sweet, but um, anything else that you'd like to add before I, I add some wrap-up tips
1: at the end? Look, I really enjoyed writing the book, which probably means there's a good chance that people will enjoy reading it. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, it's a fascinating story, and there's so many, there's so many lessons in afterpay, so many different sorts of lessons about this, about afterpay and its rise, like things about human psychology, about money and finance, about investor behaviour, biases. Tech success. I, I like, That's why we wanted to write the book. Oh, and another actually, another interesting kind of subplot is the lobbying, and you know the how afterpay had to kind of convince regulators and governments not to tamper with them too much because they they could have died a death very quickly if um, you know the rules were interpreted a certain way. So it's kind of this fascinating nexus of stock market investors. Uh, politicians and regulation, behavior, human psychology, consumer behaviour. So, yeah, we just, me and my colleague James are like, this is just like, just Afterpay just kind of brings, sucks in all these aspects of Australian finance. So it's a bit of a kind of short history of Australian finance and Afterpay. Oh, sorry, I enjoyed writing it and I hope people enjoy reading it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Look, it is. It's it's not one of those uh, uh, finance books that you uh, you start reading and going, "Oh, this is this is a bit dry." It's actually got that. I, I was reading it, going, "Is this real?" Um, <laughs> and look, to, to wrap up, we do keep these these episodes short and sweet. But for those people who are again have Afterpay pay or, or ZipPay or using some of these these different services in the background look I think personally from from my perspective we, we've talked about how banks might look at these as well if you are trying to get other debt like home loan debt and things like that banks will look at it so just be really mindful of what you're getting yourself into with any contract or any debt that you sort of get yourself into and again it's not, not formally a debt but just be aware of what are the late fees what are the, the payment um, uh, penalties that you might actually come up against if you um, can't meet the the payments and the requirements but make sure it fits into your cash flow plan as well because again this whole uh, ability the the marketing that is out there and that uh, allows us to be attracted to to buy things on a daily basis um, really does uh attune to us to say right here you go you can take this this product now and see you later here you give us a quarter of the payment but just make sure it aligns to your values make sure that it aligns to your plan and have a framework to be able to pay it off at the end of the day. Because again, it's, it's not necessarily the uh, whether after pay or zip pay is, is good or bad. Um, it's just about how we as human beings uh, adapt and, and adjust and, and use it in our lives. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been great. Uh, Again, Jonathan, appreciate all your insights. I'll add uh, Jonathan's contact details on there and uh, a link to the book as well. So you can uh, go along and maybe add that to your summer holiday reading list. Um, But look, thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. And if you have, please go and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts.